0: Well, for those of you that may not have been here the last couple of weeks, we are continuing on a sermon series on, entitled God's Way. And thus far what we've talked about, the first sermon was God's Way, and we talked about Jesus being the way. And then we talked about if you're going to follow a way, you need directions in order to follow a way. And one of the primary ways we think about when we think about following God's Way, which we talked about last week, is love. Now, if you think about love, one of the primary places that when you think about love, that love should happen, and happens for most of us, is in the family. That's what you would expect. If you're going to experience this kind of love that God is talking about, you would hope, you would think, you would expect that it would happen in the home. It may not happen in the outside world, that when you hit the real world, and you go out into the cold outside world, that you might not always experience the love that you hope for at home, that when you come home, you know, home is where the heart is, and all those wonderful sayings, that you're going to experience that love. And so, family is where that love is supposed to begin, where that love is meant to happen. But when you, you hear the word family, what do you think of? Is that what you think of? Do you think of a loving place? See, for some of us, for most of us, it's a mixed bag. For some, you have great memories. For some, you have mixed memories. For some, you have painful memories. Some of you are thinking of your family of origin. Some of you are thinking of your current family. Some of you don't want to think about family at all. But when you think of the word family, what comes to mind for you emotionally? What memories come to mind? See, for most of us, when we hear family, we at least think of some of our family background and some of the baggage that we carry with us, whether it be good stuff or not so good stuff. When I do premarital counseling... One of the tools that I use for premarital counseling is entitled Family History Analysis. And in it, we talk about your family background. This is particularly used for young couples. Because what is imprinted on you is what is a husband, what is a wife, what is a father, what is a mother. Now, I don't, by the way, I don't require this for when I marry older couples. Because, you know, some of it is so far removed and many older couples have been married before. In fact, when I tell, this is really interesting, when I tell older couples, you know, they call and they say, I've, we've decided to get married, and I say, good, let's talk about the premarital counseling, and there's often silence on the phone. You know, it's like, been there, done that, I know everything. And for example, one of the couples that I married was 78 and 80 years old. And this is going back like 15, 20 years when I was much younger. And I'm sure they thought, what can this kid teach us about marriage? But I'll tell you the real kicker. I have remarried six couples to each other. And when they call me and say, you know, we want to get married again, And I say, okay, let's talk about premarital counseling. And they said, we've already been married. And I said, yeah, how did it work the first time? (laughs) So I use this tool because they have an impression of what is a husband and what is a wife and what is a mother and what is a father. And sometimes they're accepting the image that they've had And sometimes they're rejecting the image that they've had. And sometimes they're sorting. And sometimes that imprint has been planted on them, whether they recognize it or want it or not. I've recognized that in my own life. And I remember sharing with friends when I was in my 20s, about my own family, one friend in particular who has been a good friend through the years and was actually in my wedding, and we've done ministry together, and I started talking about my family. And my family, very fascinating, I have some great memories, but I also have some difficult and some painful ones, probably most of you do. But he stopped me at one point and he said, Greg, everybody thought you had the perfect family. And I said... There is no such thing. There's no such thing as a perfect family. One vivid memory that I have is when I was in first grade, we had a family party. And I remember very well, it was on a Sunday. And we were playing streetball, baseball at our home. And I ran into someone and fell on the street and I broke my arm. And my dad, who was busy partying with friends and family, didn't want to be bothered. And he said to my mom, we'll see how he's doing in the morning. And I remember that night having a terrible night and I was pouring sweat and in a lot of pain. And the morning came and I looked terrible. And my mom said, I think he needs to go to the hospital. And my dad said, well, i got to go to work. My mom didn't drive and didn't have a car. My dad said, you've got to deal with it. So my mom and I had to walk to catch a bus and then to get a transfer. And we went to the hospital, and I did have a broken arm. And when my dad got home and found out that I, in fact, did have a broken arm, he was mad at me. See, I figured out later on in life that my dad was probably under a lot of stress at that time. He worked during the day. He went to 10 years night school. But also I figured something else out. That my dad felt pain when we felt pain, but he had no idea how to express it. And he didn't like feeling pain, so he got angry because we caused the pain. And there's a wonderful book, by the way, if you've ever dealt with stuff like this. It's called The Other Side of Love, Handling Anger in a Godly Way. Great book. See, but all of us have baggage that we deal with. All of us have dysfunctional family stuff, one way or another. Because we're all part of the broken families. We come by it naturally. Look at our family background, Adam and Eve. And then Cain and Abel, I mean, Cain killed Abel. And then you go down the family tree a little more. Abraham, the father of faith, was a liar. And then his grandson Jacob was a deceiver and liar. And Jacob became Israel. When he learned to wrestle with God, Which is what we all need to learn how to do wrestle with God to figure it out. See, because if we don't, if we don't, what happens to the family? From time to time, people ask me to read a book. They'd like me to read a book. I've got so many books. I'm always catching up on my reading. But one of those books that I was given a few months ago is a book entitled Being Mortal by Atul Gawande. And it's on medicine and what matters in the end. And unfortunately, in his mind, what matters in the end is the end of this life. See, I think there's another end that matters even more. And that's eternity. What happens to your soul? But this book deals with the end of this life. And his reflection on our lives as we age and deteriorate and what some people go through, the challenges in our culture and in cultures in other places. And as you can tell by his name, Uh, his Indian background, he has traveled to India. And so he reflected on something that he ran into over in India. Let me read this to you. The place had more than a hundred people when I visited. This is a poor house that took care of people that were terribly infirmed. The youngest was 60 and the oldest passed a century. Those on the first floor had only moderate needs. Among them, I met a Sikh man crawling awkwardly along the ground in a squat, like a slow-moving frog, hands, feet, hands, feet. He said he used to own an electrical shop in an upscale section of New Delhi. His daughter became an accountant, his son, a software engineer. Two years ago, something happened to him. He described chest pain in what sounded like a series of strokes. He spent two and a half months in the hospital, paralyzed. The bills rose. His family stopped visiting. Eventually, the hospital dropped him off here. Bagot, that's the director of the home, said he sent a message to the family through the police saying the man would like to come home. They denied knowing him. Family. See, the challenge is God wants us to learn what it means to be family his way. Not to give up. When it gets challenging, when it gets hard, when we experience pain. But to learn how to love in spite of the challenges we face. We're all dysfunctional, we're all broken, we're all sinners. What does it mean to love in family? What does that look like? Where do we go to to learn? Well, I think the first place to go to is to Jesus, because He's our model. And how did He perceive His Father? He perceived His Father as Abba, Daddy, a loving and tender Father. And if you didn't have that, it might be hard for you to understand that. It was hard for me at first. But see, that's how Jesus conceived. If you listen to the Gospel reading, here's a guy who's in his early 30s. That when he rose again from the dead, he took on this image of the Father, that when his apostles are struggling, he calls out to them, Children. Children. And He provides for them. He sees their need. He sees their struggle. Children. That's what we read in John 21. But one of the aspects of Jesus and how he perceived his father that we love to gloss over is that Jesus was wholly submissive and wholly obedient to his father as much as he perceived him as wholly tender and loving and provide constantly for him that he knew his father to be holy he completely respected him and respected his authority and humbled himself completely And see, that's the part that we have a problem with in our culture today. If you look around, we have an authority problem and we have a problem with respect. There is constant disrespect going on. And I include families in that. Sometimes parents abdicate. Sometimes children get their models from media. Sometimes we watch presidential debates, and there's total disrespect. We've got lots of models out there. See, but where do we go for our model? And how do we seek to implement that in family? We need to see a loving God, but also a holy God. So that we can begin to understand how we implement that model in our family and live it out as family. That's what we need to see. And it begins with understanding our role as disciple that we learn from him. That we're open to being filled and transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Disciple means learner, student, follower. That Jesus is our model. You know the word disciple is the word that's most frequently used as to who we are in our role? The word disciple is used 269 times. And the word disciple includes the idea of discipline. That there is to be a discipline about our lives. When we're seeking to follow the Lord. That we can't accomplish in and of ourselves. We need the power and the filling of the Holy Spirit in order to live this disciplined life. We can't do it ourselves. In order to be family. We need to bring that discipline into the home. Not to be ogres. But that's what true love is about. Scripture says in Proverbs, and again in Hebrews, the Lord disciplines those whom He loves. The discipline is a part of our life as Christians. And Jesus, we see over and over again, respected His Father, lived under His authority. And then when God gives us His Word, as Paul talks about in 2 Timothy, the Word is there to correct us and to rebuke us. Even though we don't like to be corrected and rebuked, who does? That's because we need to be disciplined from time to time. That's what love is about. We want the fuzzy love, the sentimental love. That's not what we see in Jesus. If you really read the Gospels, you see how to love because that's how Jesus loved his apostles. He called them children, but at times he corrected them as children. And directed them as children. That's the kind of God we need. And that's the kind of family that we need to be. Which means also that we need to be mutually submissive to each other. Let's bring it first to the marriage. That husbands are to love their wives as Jesus loved the church. What does that mean? That means you lay down your life. You don't lord it over, you lay down your life. And wives are to love their husbands as the church serves Christ. That means you're to lay down your life. If you really understand what Paul's saying, it's mutual submission, it's laying down your life. And the model we have Philippians 2 esteem others as better than yourself, mutual submission. See, if we always want to be the one served, if we always want to be number one, we're going to have problems in the family, in the church, in society. Last week we talked about 1 Corinthians 13.4. Do not insist on your own way. See, I love to get my own way. I really do. I love to be right. It just doesn't happen all the time. 1 Corinthians 13 is found in between 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14. Those two chapters, isn't that brilliant? Those two chapters, hey, I'm not as dumb as I look. Those two chapters talk about the church and the body of Christ. We're going to be talking about God's church next week. But basically what that says is there is no inferior, there is no lesser than. In the church, in the family, everyone participates, everyone has gifts. And the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, which is often read at weddings, really is about people. It's really about the body. It's about how we're to treat each other. It's that kind of love for everyone. If we really understand. And that's why this humility, this laying down of one's life, it's this mutual submission that's supposed to creep into our lives, all of us together. And it begins in the family. That's where it's modeled. That's where it's lived out. That's where it's practiced so we can take it out into the world. And that's where respecting authority is also taught, by the way. Romans 13 talks about respecting authority, but it begins in the home. That's where it's taught first. See, and one of the reasons why we've got an authority problem, once again, it needs to be held up and taught and learned. From childhood onward, it begins with God being our authority, and His Word being our authority, and then parents being an authority. Because they're godly parents, because they're seeking to follow God's authority, because they're trying to impart that to their children. Because they're trying to model a godly life. Because they're trying to raise their children up in the faith. And then we bring that out into the world. We have an authority problem. And that's why we have a respect problem. Jesus lived... As one under authority, he did not say, I came so that everyone might serve me. He came to serve, he came to live as one under authority. And we need to learn from that. The family resemblance needs to change. So that the family resemblance, we need to begin to take on the resemblance from our Heavenly Father. From Jesus, our brother. You know, in a few minutes, we're going to be praying a prayer that you all know. Y'all know very well. In it we're going to pray, Thy will be done. Do you mean it? Do you really mean it for yourself? Thy will be done. I really want God's will to be done in my life. See, a lot of times what we really mean when we say that, those other people really need to follow God's will. Thy will be done. Give us this day our daily bread. God is the source for all we need. When we really understand and recognize it, He's our source. For all we need. In order to be who we need to be. Forgive us our trespasses. Why? Because we fail. Because our love is imperfect. Because sometimes we don't treat our family with the love and respect we need to. Because we go out into the world. And we're poor witnesses. But how do we begin the prayer? Our Father. Our Father. That's how we need to begin. That's what our focus needs to be. Our Father. You know, when my kids were moving into the middle school age, and they were just beginning to stretch their wings and press the limits and Wanting to tell dad how it was. I remember having a family meeting of sorts, pulling them in, saying, We need to talk. And I said to him, Look, I didn't I didn't really have a great model as a dad and I'm not perfect and I need to figure this out. Because I don't I don't know Or fully know how to do this dad thing. But I'm going to do the best I can. I didn't want to tell them stories about my dad because I wanted them to love my dad. And by the way, my dad got a lot better when he was in his 60s and 70s. I think he finally started to figure it out. Quit drinking when he was in his 70s. That helped a lot. But I was an imperfect dad. But I told my kids, I said, I'm going to try as best I can to love you with God's love. And to guide you with God's guidance. But I don't have all the answers to being a dad. I'm just going to do the best I can. That's what we all need to do in our families. To recognize we don't have all the answers. It's not always our way. And we're imperfect. But it's only by God's grace and God's direction and God's love that we're going to figure it out. It's only by submitting to Him and being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit every day that we're going to be able to. And our world desperately needs families that can be models, not of perfection, but of transformation. We're broken. And we've got broken families, and the world is certainly broken. We have hope, and the world needs hope for families. But God can change your family because God is a loving Father, and Jesus died on a cross. To show you the depth of his love. And he sent his Holy Spirit to change you. So there's hope. There's hope for you and there's hope for your family. Let's pray. Lord God, Father God, we are in desperate need of your love in our family and in our families around us. Lord, that there might be a trickle-down effect. That as we experience your love and share your love in our marriages, that our children know your love that as our families share in that love, that it overflows in our church and on our community. Because your love flows down to us through the cross, through the bloodshed of Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit your love trickles down. Lord God, transform our hearts. Transform our marriages. Transform our families. Help us to not only find hope, find healing for our brokenness, but provide hope for those around us with brokenness in their families.